If you would, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 16 is what we've been focusing on. I will give you a heads up. These next two messages are crucial to your existence. It's about as simple as I can make it. Um, and uh, we are in verses, we'll be focusing on verses 8 to 10, but saints changed is uh, what we'll, I will not get it covered today, but I will finish it up next Sunday. So let's pray and jump in. Father, we come before your throne. Father, I pray that we come with awe. I pray that we come overwhelmed with who you are, what you have done, Father, what you are doing, and, oh, Father, what you shall accomplish. Father, as we look at this and we understand that we are ambassadors of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Father, I pray that you break any pride that we have, and that, Father, that we understand the urgency of this day, and that, Father, that we represent you, and yet you have not called us to something that we are not prepared, and you have empowered us for the task that is hand. Father, each of us who is here, Father, I pray they come to a realization that you shall do exceedingly abundantly beyond what any of us could ever think or imagine. Help us to have ears to hear. But Father, help us to have hearts. Hearts moldable in the hands of an awesome God that are willing to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and guard this precious truth. To your glory and pray. Amen. Beginning at verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without and fears within. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoice even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, so that you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow which is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindications of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. And everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor the sake of the offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice even more, much more, for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. 
For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as he spoke all things to you in truth, so that also our boasting before Titus proved to be truth. His affection abounds all the more toward you, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. What we're looking at is what I call comfort and sorrow. Um, and, and we've been spending a little time in this, and we'll spend more. Um, and it, it's kind of a, a tough text because it's a personal section. Um, all of us in this room uh, have known sorrow or may even be involved in sorrow at this very moment. Um, some in this room have known sorrow from just serving the Lord. Okay, as a pastor, um, that is a guarantee. You are a servant of the Lord. Uh, part of my responsibility is a shepherd. And one of the things that I learned very early in my ministry is that uh, you will suffer sorrow. And, uh, and it comes from very unlikely places. But anyone who would serve the Lord will have sorrow. Now, what's amazing about that, if you get the, you ever seen the little Jesus promise books that people like to get? You will not find that in there. That serving me, you will have sorrow. But he promised that you would take up your cross and follow me. All right. That doesn't sound joyful. It doesn't sound skipping through the meadows of the wildflowers. All right. In relationships, as people, we have conflict. We can have it with our parents. We can have it with our kids. We can have it with co-workers. We can have it with saints. It's always there and it's always a guarantee. But I want you to know something. In the midst of that sorrow, there is comfort. There is comfort. That's what this text does. And this text, verses 5 through 16, relates to every human being. Even the lost. Now, they don't have any fun with it, but they'll get over it. It relates to us because it has to do with how do we restore joy. Um, I can honestly tell you, some of you know a little bit about me before my salvation, and I was, uh, shall I call it, not a pleasant person. Um, and uh, I, I endured and afflicted in a plethora of ways. As a pastor, I can tell you, some would say you are still afflicting. Um, but I can tell you that before my salvation, many things that brought me heartache um, were probably overdue to me. As a pastor, I can tell you that I have heartache that I never dreamed was bearable by humans. 
And I'm not saying that because I'm this great anything. I'm saying it because if you're going to serve the Lord, get ready. Okay. The other hard thing that's tough about this text is it's a narrative. It's like, let me preach to you the battle of Gettysburg. Okay. Um, It's a little tough. It's a little tough. It's not doctrine. Um, and yet it is, it's very practical, but it's dealing with Paul's relationship first with Titus and with the Corinthians. Okay. And you know what I've learned? And, and I'm not, this is a tough text for me to teach, but I, but I, I, I will share it because personally I can, I can vouch for this. Uh, there's times that I can preach something and you can say, but you don't understand. Um, I can preach this and say, Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. There are very few people in the body of Christ today that I would say are concerned about what's going on with the pastor. Okay. Because he's the pastor. I mean, what trouble can he really have? I mean, you know, he's, He's, he knows all this stuff. So, you know, he, he, he can't be having any. He, he's the pastor. So very few people really know, uh, are even concerned what's going on with the pastor. As was it with the apostle Paul. Um, but until the writing of this letter, of this series of letters, and then this letter specifically, the Apostle Paul was in the pits. He was depressed. He felt overwhelmed. He felt confused. He felt hurt. He says he was depressed. He had a door for the gospel open to him in Troas, and he was so disturbed, the Apostle Paul did not walk through that door. He went on to Macedonia. He was grieving tremendously about, you're not going to believe this, church. I do not know, I can probably count on one hand the people I know who grieve over the church. And that's a tragedy. And then, you know, part of it is our own fault. I mean, we've got 50, I think we're at 58 evangelical churches in Castle Rock. So, Dude, I can be bummed at this one and I can have a new church every week for over a year. Paul was grieving about the church because the church had allowed first, but was also listening to false teaching, deceptive teaching. And even in a surprise visit by the apostle Paul, um, The false teacher confronted Paul. And nobody in the church said anything. That's amazing. And what happens is, is that once you allow false teaching to creep in, you will start forming alliances. And there was an anti-Paul group in the church that he had founded in Corinth. And yet... The church 
had no response. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that would do more than hurt. They weren't dealing with the error. Okay, now listen, I want you to understand something about this text. This is not self-pity. Okay, you will not find that in the Apostle Paul. Any illustrations that I give you that I may have had to endure is not self-pity. They've made me a better pastor. Okay, they have strengthened my faith. Now, I wouldn't wish them on people, but it was obvious that God knew that I was a little on the stiff neck side, and therefore, I will take you through some of these wonderful adventures, and you're just going to have to deal with it. Okay? What had happened is, this church, by allowing the error to come in and listening to it, And then when he showed up and the error confronted the Apostle Paul and they didn't do anything, they had alienated themselves from their relationship with the Apostle Paul. Here's the problem with that. (laughs) Once they've alienated themselves to the Apostle Paul, they have alienated themselves from God. Listen, a pastor is not a, uh, a, a game uh, of, of people, how many friends can you gather? That's not what I'm here for. Okay? And yet, it becomes this popularity contest. If that's what you're looking for, like I said, there's 58 more churches in this town. Okay? That's not what it's about. Ambassadors of Jesus Christ are not here to see if I can make you like me and then maybe you'll like my Jesus. That ain't what it's here for. And when you take a man of God sent by God, empowered by God, and you alienate that relationship, what'd you just do? You alienated yourself from God. Becomes very simple. What are you following? Whose teachings are you listening to? Whose opinions? And you know what? Paul was depressed. He had spent 18 months with these people, day in and day out, working with them, house to house, teaching, pouring himself into each of these people. He wrote a letter, and he wrote it with tears in chapter 2, he said. Verse 5 there, he says, We were afflicted on every side, conflicts without and fears within. That's conflict, that's anxiety, that's heartbreak. And at the arrival of Titus, that was good because, well, they didn't kill Titus. But then when he heard how they treated Titus and how they responded to the severe letter, he rejoiced all the more. And it brought this man who was in depression and anxiety great joy. Been tough. He had no rest. 
He had all kinds of troubles. He had enemies of the gospel. That's the outside. He had deceived believers. That's the inside. And yet, by the report he got from Titus, he was comforted. See, you're not going to believe this. This is going to be a shock to you all. Did, did you know that relationships can be broken? The duh. Surprise. And did you know that when that relationship breaks, it's painful? And did you know that that is with any relationship? But I will tell you, fact, experienced, it is more painful in the spiritual ones. I've had relationships with family. I've had relationships with friends. All were broken. But the ones that hurt the most are the spiritual ones. And yet, we long for the relationships. But I have, I can, uh, I was going through this over these last couple of weeks, and I was thinking about men that I had poured myself into and watched them only wander from Christ. 22 of them in my life of 20 years of being in the ministry, serving, 25 years. I've seen 22 men, and they walk away. They walk away. And when it's family, friends, or fellow saints, that pain is compounded. And the Apostle Paul was dealing with this. And it is a pain that I cannot describe to you. Cannot describe it to you. Now, I've had people that I've invested myself in and they've gone on. Uh, we've got some elders that we've placed in other churches that were elders in this church. Uh, and they, they went on. They, it was time. Uh, we invested the time that we had with them and, and they took off and, and, and are still being used for the glory of the king. And those are awesome. Um, you know, there's uh, several of those. And I mean, when I start thinking about the bad eggs, <laughs> I can always grab a hold of, of a couple of, and it, it, and it's, and it's great. I, I had a kid one time that I poured myself into for about five or six years and he, he was very, very intelligent. I mean, amazingly intelligent. I'm still trying to figure, I think he was with me to show what stupid isn't that big a deal. Um, but, uh, we, we spent time together and now he's got his PhD in Greek. And he's teaching because he, he he was had tried a couple of pulpits and and I he called me one time and he says it's just not working and I said you're not a preacher bud I said uh, he says what I said you you have the gift of knowledge and it does not lend itself to the pulpit I said the gift of wisdom is what you want from the pulpit. and and I was afraid to tell him that because he so wanted to be a pastor. And I said, dude, you need to sit down and like write dictionaries, uh, you know, so that clowns like me can figure out what words you're using. And uh, guess what he's doing? <laughs> he's teaching Greek that we do. <laughs> you're like, whoa, dude, <laughs> far out. 
Um, <laughs> so, but you know, it's, there's times that you want to try to talk to these people and, and I knew he wanted, had the heart to pastor, but I knew that, <laughs> Lordy, I don't know what kind of church you would have. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't know if we could get that many people smart enough to sit around and listen to you. <laughs> now listen, it's not. I'm not trying to say you guys are stupid, but <laughs> there's certain people that are just circling the planet. <laughs> God, I, and I seem to run into all of them. They're like, oh gee. When you see these people walk away, I, I know what it is. It's a seduction of the false. It appeals to the flesh. And your flesh and my flesh, none of us have the ability to overcome. It is only God that overcomes. And when those people step into that, they are being removed from the blessings of God. And you can see it. You know it. And it's tough to sit and watch. It hurts to watch. Paul's severe letter had produced a positive response. Do you know how seldom that ever happens? Do you understand how seldom that ever happens? We are told in the body of Christ to exercise church discipline. If a person refuses to repent after multiple warnings, you set them outside of the church. Okay, now listen, you don't do that because you're a redneck. You do that because you're trying to restore them to the place of God's blessing. I had a situation years ago. The guy thought he could go to, I think he went back to West Virginia. And I tracked him down in West Virginia, sent his pastor a letter that he'd been kicked out of the church. He left his wife for, uh, this was before we had Facebook and texting and Twittering and whatever else we do now. And he found an old girlfriend from high school and left his wife for her. I... And I remember going over to their house before he left, me and another elder, and said, dude, you, <laughs> this has got butt ugly all over it. And he didn't listen. And sure enough, uh, last I'd heard, he'd been in a serious car accident and didn't know whether he'd ever walk again. Now, I ain't saying that <laughs> you make me mad, God's going to strike you dead. What I'm trying to say is, is that if you're not repentant, do not ask for his favor. And yet the church in Corinth had responded positively. And that restores the joy. That is the comfort. Remember what I shared with you? His joy came because he found out that they had a loving response to him, a, a longing response to him, a mournful response to him, and a zealous response to him. It doesn't get no better. Doesn't get no better. Fight the good fight. And yet, that's what he was doing, and he felt like the church in Corinth had betrayed him. 
And yet their response to the severe letter and their response to Titus, that was restored. Okay, now I want to move into this verses 8 through 10. Look at verse 8. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. Okay, this is what I call change. Change, okay? After this massive heartache, the Apostle Paul, this grief that had set in, because he had confronted... Now, you get, kind of get your timeline straight on this. He had wrote the severe letter, had sent it with Titus. Now he's waiting. Okay, that's when the heartache and the grief start coming in on him. Because he has confronted. Okay, but yet the Corinthians proved to be faithful, loyal. Okay, and, and you know what? I'll be honest with you. That's amazing to me. That is desirable. Church discipline is for a desire of restoration. It isn't that I'm better than you or I'm, you know, more righteous than you. It is to try to get you to change. Okay. Um. It's a word that we use a lot, and we'll deal with it there in verse 10, but that people get freaked out over, and it's that R word, repentance. Okay, let me define for you repentance. Okay, because a lot of what I hear as repentance ain't. Okay, repentance means busted. But you change directions. All right. It has an action to it. It's saying, you know what? I was going down this way and, oh, that was so wrong that I have changed my direction. Okay. If you've got kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. Your kids can get busted. <laughs> don't change direction. <laughs> it's just like, I'll wait for them not to watch again. Okay, I see the little YouTube video where this kid saying had gotten into the uh, sprinkled donuts and they were all over his face. The sprinkles were. And his mom asked him, were you in the donuts? No. <laughs> you know, that ain't repentance. <laughs> That's busted. Okay. See, they were being faithful to the Apostle Paul. That is extraordinarily noble. Okay, because if you're unfaithful, then it's sin. It's, they're all going to be before God. All right, if you go read David's, the 50 series Psalms, he knows what's going down. And he knows that he had sinned against God, now Uriah might argue with him, but he understood what he did. And then understanding that you've sinned against God, guess what? You change directions or you're an idiot. I mean, you really want to fight God one-on-one? -on -one. Really? Go for it. Can you do it in another country? <laughs> Preferably. 
There's this valley of Megiddo. Try there. <laughs> All right. So when I when I look at this, there is a loyalty to the person of God. Okay, the person of God is manifested in the body of Christ, the church. Is there a loyalty there? Do I have a loyalty there? If I don't have a loyalty there, then know this right off the bat, you're in sin. Okay, if you don't believe me, Hebrews 13, you go read it, you tell me what it says. But that's all right, because Hebrews 12 comes first, and those he loves, he says he chastens. So if you feel like you're being chastened, go. <laughs> Pretty cool. All right. Part of real restoration of a relationship I don't care what the relationship is. It's a genuine, I'm talking about genuine restoration. Okay? It understands sorrow is based on sin. Okay? In this context, the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians, what was it? Based on sin. That had alienated the relationship. Anytime you're struggling in a relationship with another person, guess what? It's very simple, very easy. That's why you shouldn't marry an unbeliever. Why? There's going to be a conflict. And the relationship will never be as strong as if you're both serving the same master. Paul understood this. Now, now listen, I, let me kind of give you a little footnote here because uh, I'm not so naive. All right. We really hate to admit sin. If someone confronts you about your sin, your immediate response is always the same. What a Pharisee. <laughs> That's what you do. Well, what if they're right? Well, I'll start the second Baptist church then. That's what we do. When someone confronts you about your sin, your first response is, what do you know? Well, I know you're in sin. Isn't it? We hate to admit, uh, I got caught with my hand in a cookie jar. Okay. When that happens, sorrow should be there because it is sorrow that leads to change, to repentance. Okay. Um, Paul, I guess simply put, he knew that the confrontation was severe. But let's be realistic. If you're confronting sin, isn't it? It's severe. Okay? Um, and it was strong. He knew that writing this letter is going to produce sorrow. Okay? He said he wrote it in chapter 2, verse 4, with tears. He knew what was going on. And yet, this letter is confrontation, but it's written because of a broken heart. The letter confronted, I caused you sorrow. That's what he says. And you know what? If you confront sin, 
It's going to cause sorrow. And you know what? The response will always be the same. What do you know? Judge not lest you be judged. You Pharisee. Oh, he's just self-righteous. Hurt them all. Paul says, I know I caused you sorrow, but I had no regret. Why? What's he confronting? You guys have alienated you from God, your Savior. And I know that me pointing this out to you is really going to break your heart and cause you some pain. But what's the alternative? Stay alienated to God? There's a brilliant idea. He knew it would cause sorrow, but he also knew that confronting the sin, what it would produce. And that was more encouraging. The purpose was not to make you mad. The purpose was not to make you sad. See, those are all based on emotions. He says, the purpose is to bring change. Why do you set someone outside of a church? To bring change. You need to change. See, sadness, sorrow, is a part of true repentance. And change comes. Okay? When we understand how important it is. And it's important if someone's willing to confront me on it. Or to confront you on it. It's like when your kids. How many times have your kids said, I'm sorry? Okay. How many times do you think they really met it? I'm still thinking that they ain't yet. Just an idea. Why? Because if they really meant it, then guess what? There's change. The direction has changed. Okay? And you know what? You, <laughs> I've got kids. I've dealt with Christians. Also. All right. And there's times they'll say, I'm sorry, but you know, there's no way that they have changed. If they're still doing the same thing, I'm thinking they ain't changed. Okay. If that hasn't happened, then they don't have no sorrow there. They may be bummed out because they got caught and they may lose a privilege of some type, but it's you. I have watched this happen so many times and it's so practical in the church and yet the church is afraid of it. And I said, that to me is mind-boggling. Our king died for our sin and we just think it's no big deal. He's just morally challenged. Okay? And the same thing happens with our children. I don't discipline my children because I'm having a bad day. I'm doing it so that they understand there's consequences to this and change your direction. That's not that complicated. Well, but you don't understand. You're just a meanie. And that isn't what it's about. See, confrontation... Um, the reason that we do this, whether it is disciplining our children or confronting a, a Christian, is the motive that should be behind it is that we have a love for them and we have a love for truth. And I love you so much, I don't want you to continue to do this because it will have 
a harsh effect to you. Now, whether that is my child or whether that is a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, it is irrelevant to me because I still have a love for them and I have a love for truth. He's concerned about their obedience and or lack of. Chapter 2, verse 9. This end I wrote, so I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in what? All things. He was concerned about their obedience. He was, it's not just sorrow. I'm not doing this to make you sad. You know what? Now, I, I want, I, I share this because this is extraordinarily difficult because this letter is dealing with, quote unquote, you're ministering. You are an ambassador of Christ. You are a minister of a new covenant to mankind. And part of what your ministry will have to do is what? Confront. You will have to use confrontational words. Let me tell you something about sin. It is crouched and ready to pounce at any given moment at any given person. It is unrelenting. It is spring-loaded. And it is waiting for you to trip it. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've known Jesus. I don't care how much Bible study you've done. It lays there and it is crouching, waiting to devour you. In any given second. And anybody who thinks they ain't, (laughs) flee. (laughs) That's a dangerous place to be. Now, here's another thing that we don't pay attention to. Do you understand the number of false teachers that are in your sphere right now? I can't even begin to count them. They're everywhere. I mean, and, and, and you know, people say, they, they stop me every once in a while, I'll have the radio on, and they say, well, you're listening to secular radio. And I was like, yeah, so? And they says, well, how can you listen to secular radio? I don't have to discern it. <laughs> I know what it is. I, I listen to, and I have, and some of the guys that I grew up listening to, I hear them all of a sudden starting to, they're moving. They're kind of sliding over here on, wait a minute, you're walking around the thing again. Just say it. I don't understand that. And these guys have been rock solid and all of a sudden, well, but you know, and, and I know what brings it on. Satan wants to destroy the work of God. Always. Okay, and I got to be honest with you. I don't know anybody who likes confrontation. Now, there's a lot of people think I like confrontation. I don't. I despise it. But one of the things I've learned is I am a relationship being, which means I'm going to have confrontation. Okay, the ones that I don't tolerate are spiritual leaders. They ain't tolerating that. Well, you know better. 
Or at least you said you did. And, and I, and I hear these guys, well, I'm not really sure what this means, but I think, just sit down and shut up. If you don't know what it means, shut up. And I'm not trying to be mean spirited about it. Shut up. What if you say it wrong and then next week you have to get up and say, I was all wrong on that. Well, who's going to start listening to you? There are times in the ministry that you have to use very strong words. I have been accused at times, couldn't you have said it gentler? If I coulda, I woulda. I didn't, so it couldn't. Okay? Now listen, some of you guys have known me for years and years and years and years. Some of you don't. Some of you may sit there and think, man, he just seems like he just goes around and beats out of leadership. I will not tolerate error in a leadership. And I'm pretty quick at it. Okay? Now I've dealt with young believers and I am extraordinarily patient with young believers. Okay? Why? They don't know. And you know what? I put up with an awful lot from lost people because it's only their nature. Okay? The ones that I'm not patient with and I do not tolerate are leaders. If the leader says something stupid, I'm going to say, hey, I think that was stupid. Okay? So just for your information, that's how I deal with it. There are times for very strong words. And when that happens, it is to produce obedience. And that only obedience comes when there is change. And it only comes when there is sorrow over sin. There's no motivation otherwise. Paul says, I didn't write this to make you sad. Okay? Because he did understand that sadness is the path to repentance. Okay? That is what change is. That is why I wrote this out as saints changed. Why? They were confronted. Okay, now, I want to show you something that's really fascinating about this verse. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Why? I know what I was looking for. I was looking for you to change and come back to obedience to God. All right, but look what he says right in that little phrase right next to it. Though I did regret it. That's fascinating. When he's waiting for Titus, remember he writes the severe letter, Titus takes it to Corinth. This is during that time when he's anxious. This is when he's depressed. He says, I had no rest in my spirit. Okay? And he falls in to the same thing that every minister of God has ever had to deal with. The same thing. Okay? Here's the thought. I know this like the back of my hand. Did I push them further away? <laughs> okay. When you deal with people who need to be confronted, you will always, always, always feel this way. Did I say it wrong? Could I have worded it different? What if I've made the separation greater? Did I push them farther away? 
Okay, you always do. That's what Paul's doing right there. Though I did regret it. You know what? You can look at that from two perspectives. One perspective is, daggone, I gotta do it. Okay? It's not my fault I have to write the severe letter. You guys are the ones who've taken this course, therefore I'm writing this letter. But you can also look at it from, ah, what if I drive a bigger wedge in here? Give the false teachers even more ammunition now. But you have to be strong. Why? That is what confrontation is. You do it, and as soon as you do it, you have remorse. Okay? Was I too hard? Could I have worded it different? Did I drive them away? See, and you know what's amazing? Even Paul felt that way. Why? Listen, people. I don't care who you are. Confrontation is tough. It is extremely difficult. I remember one time a young lady in our congregation, uh, why did I have several young women, that, you know, her husband called me and, and said that they'd gotten into a fight and she's gone off partying. And Castle Rock doesn't have a lot of bars. And uh, so I started going through the bars. Sure enough, I got to one, and there she was. And, of course, she's a single or woman without a man in there, and she got about 900 guys all wanting to buy her a drink. And she had her back to me. I tapped her on the shoulder. She turned around and saw me, and all the blood left her face. Instantaneous. Craziest thing I've ever seen. I thought, huh, she's going to pass out. And I said, uh, <laughs> won't we go home? <laughs> And, and she did. And they, they ended up divorced. She ended up, her dad ended up putting a restraining order on me. Uh, I still have it framed in my office. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I, I remember one time going to get a lady who uh, had moved in with a guy. And I said, you can't do that. And so I had made some arrangements with a family here in the church. She could live in their basement. And me and one of the elders went and got her. And, you know, he was furious. But there was two of us. <laughs> So, um, you know, and, and I, you don't want to do that. I mean, there's nothing. It is very uncomfortable. You know, knock on the door. Oh, God, the pastor's at the door. Okay. And yeah. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> okay. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't like confrontation. I don't care what people say. There's some people will say, well, he seems like he's. No, that's not what I'm about. But you know what? I know that if you're in unrepentant sin and God's pointed your unrepentant sin out to you and you refuse to repent from it, move away from it, change direction, you're sacrificing your blessings of God. And it's my responsibility as a brother in Christ to try to help you get back. And yet, there's times that you say, and I've been accused of it, I lack compassion. No, if I lack compassion, I'd let you go. It's times that you think I pushed them the wrong way. Paul struggled with this. When it comes to confronting sin, sometimes we have to go beyond what our emotions will allow us to go. Our emotions say, I don't want to do this. I don't want a part of this. Okay, but I, we respond to the normal compassion that God didn't relent with us. We're dealing. I think the thing that people don't pay attention to, the penalty of sin is what? 
Isn't that serious enough? Shouldn't that be urgent enough? That the penalty of sin is death? Disqualification? Isn't that important enough to say, okay, emotions, I don't really want to do this, but it's obvious it's been thrown in my lap because I know about it. I got to go deal with it. Why? Unrepentant sin is as deadly as gangrene. Listen, when you discipline your children, is it hard? Well, it depends on what they do. (laughs) No, but it is. You don't want to discipline your kids. And then when you do discipline them, you start thinking, was that too hard? Was that too severe? Should I have maybe? And you always do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. We all understand that. If you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. Confrontation. We always jump in to, was it too much? Was it too strong? That's what the Apostle Paul says here. I did regret it. Though I did regret it. Paul knew that it had to be done. He didn't want to do it, but he had to do it. In reality, he knew it was right. When you discipline your kids, it's because they have not heeded the warnings up to that point. So here it comes. Why? Because I'm looking for a change in your obedience. It's the same thing in church. I'm looking for a change in your obedience, Corinthians. Had to deal with them. You don't regret it, and yet it's tough on your emotions. You've heard the statement, this is going to hurt me more than it will you. And you know what? Most of the times it does. There's not a parent out there who's sane... Am I allowed to say that? Well, I did. <laughs> Can't take it back, can I? There's not a parent out there who's sane, who wants, I'm going to discipline my child today. Why? It's Tuesday. They no parent gets up that way. Paul was concerned. Was he too severe? See, Paul, Paul looked at it. He's like a father. And as a father, I know what it means. There's times that it is painful. There's times I don't want to. You know, I was thinking about my kids. All three of my kids will tell you that, you know what? Dad never yelled at us. Though he did whip our butts one time each. And after that, I had their undivided attention. And if my voice started to raise just a little bit, they're like, oh, we know where this is headed. We'll stop. And I, but it was, it was just that way. I remember one time I had a colt was born and <clears throat> brand spanking new colt. Okay. And I went down and she's in the barn and I grabbed her. I picked her up and I carried her up to the house. Okay. Now, if you know anything about horses, their greatest defense is what? Their legs. Okay. And so I took it up there, I put some iodine on his umbilical cord, and then I carried it back down, and I set it back down. This is a little colt, okay? That marked that horse forever, because that horse thought at any given second, he can lift me off the ground. Okay? But that horse was like, I'm his buddy. Whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, I'm in. Okay? Because that's its defense. All of a sudden it says, that guy can just pick me up. 
I'm doomed. All right? And, you know, the same thing happens with your confrontation of sin. You do that. And you're sending a mark to everybody else. This is serious. You know, we've had one case in this church, and I told you briefly about it, but everybody in the church, when we had set this man outside of the church, everybody, I'm talking about the kids, everybody in church, I made the statement that this individual has been set outside of the church. That's the only statement I had. And I would appreciate if every one of you would get in contact with him by mail and tell him you miss him and you love him. And everybody in that church sent him a letter. Okay, I didn't tell him what the sin was. I didn't tell him what was going on. Other than the fact, this man's outside of the church. Send him a letter. Tell him we love him. Okay? There's no pleasure in it. Let me show you a text. First. Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. Just as you know how we were exhorting. Okay, exhorting means I'm coming alongside you and I'm pointing out the error of your ways and I'm willing to walk with you to change your direction. That's exhorting. And encouraging. Let me tell you that I am here for you. I will be with you. I will walk with you. I'm imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Okay, imploring means that I'm begging you. Change it. Change it. That's what a father does. That's what a father does. Now listen, yes, there are those who are out there who are abusive. Absolutely. Okay, not the Apostle Paul. Paul had no, took no pleasure in confrontation. This was not a thing for satisfaction for the Apostle Paul. Okay, he regretted it. He thought he might have been a little harsh. That should be in the heart of every minister who confronts sin. Okay, because that is true compassion. True compassion. When he saw the results in verse 8, there were regrets, but I don't have any regrets right now because it worked. It caused sorrow, but then he makes this statement, though only a little while. (laughs) A little while it changed. You know what the literal translation of the Greek phrase is right there? One hour. It hurt for an hour. <laughs> I like that. Why? That is, that is what love is. No one likes discipline. Do you know that? Did you know that? No one likes receiving discipline. No one likes giving discipline. But it's still necessary. Even the Apostle Paul. Okay? He had a love for the people so great that he was willing to do anything, even confront their sin. Okay, now listen, I'm going to give you a footnote and I'll close this up. Listen, I know, I've been around, I'm not new here, that there are authoritarians out there and they just flat out crush people. Okay, I know that. I've experienced that a time or two in my life. And uh, I, I know, I know that that pain. But let me tell you this: sin needs to be dealt with. And you know what? Sometimes many do it without love. They just do it because it makes them feel better. All right, I'm going to give you a footnote. I've been in a church a long time. This is the only church I've ever been in my life, been a part of. Okay. 
Just know that off the bat. So this place is special to me. If you are not involved in that person's life, do not confront their sin. Okay? Because you will not be doing it. If you don't love them enough to be involved with them before, then I know your confrontation ain't done in love. Okay? Hear me well on this because you want to see me get my hackles up. That one there does it. Okay? I do not need a whole bucket full of Pharisees running around thinking that they can walk on water because if you think you can, you ain't messed with me. Because I'll make your life miserable. And I'm not saying that to brag or anything like that, but I said, I'm saying that I'm, if I confront your sin, it's because you're my friend, you are dear to me, you are precious to me. But that happened not because all of a sudden I found you in sin. That happens because I've known you for a long time. If you're not willing to take that time, keep your pie hole shut. Okay? And if you can tell by the tone of my voice, I'm serious about it. I have seen it. I know what its fruit is, and I will not tolerate it. Okay? Now, I'm not saying it ain't, anybody in here ain't, it's, it's sinless. Okay? Come and hang out with me. <laughs> but what I am saying is, you don't do that if you're not involved in their life. Just be quiet. Sin needs to be dealt with, but if it's not done in love, then don't do it. See, here's the question. To exhort and to encourage, he says, as a father. You know what that means? I'm involved in your life. Exhortation says, hey, I got my arm around your shoulder. If you continue down this path, this is the ditch that you're going to end up in. But that's okay. I'll help you walk around it if you would like. That's exhortation. You know what that means? It's going to take your time. It's going to take your energy. It's going to take your love. It's going to take more than you better be ready to put it in. Okay? Because it literally means I'm going to lift up your burden. You who are spiritual, see any brother in any trespass, what? Bear their burden. And it literally means that you're going to get under a donkey that's got too many boxes on it and it's getting ready to fall and you're going to lift the donkey so that the load doesn't crush it. Okay, but note who he says it to. You who are spiritual. We all want to think we're spiritual. My question is, can you carry the donkey? It's that simple. And if you're not going to carry the burden, shh. My question is simple. Will you walk? Listen, we are to discipline. We help them, but we do it with reluctance. Okay? Why? Because we have a compassionate heart. Paul loved these people so deeply that he felt the pain that when he hurt them. You think about that. As parents, I know this. There's times that I've disciplined my kids. I don't like to do that. But it's right. And even though it's right, there's times that you will be reluctant. It is love so great 
You can't do it without feeling the pain. Okay? Because see, that love's so great that you can feel the pain, then it controls the discipline. Remember he told the Corinthians, set him outside of the congregation, but if he changes, bringing back in and treating him as if nothing happened. Okay, now listen, if you're involved in that person's life, that's easy for you to do. If you want to walk around and act like a Pharisee, then you're not going to ever let up on that person. That is proper as a parent. It is proper as a pastor. And it is proper as a minister. Anyone who confronts sin should do it with the same attitude that God did. When God confronted sin, what did he do? Sin is only begotten son. It's like Hebrews 12. God chastens those he loves. Okay. But he does it grievingly. He doesn't chasten you. But let's be realistic. A handful of us have kind of stick, stiff necks. But Paul's sorrow was short. Okay. His regret was short. Okay. Like I said, for only a little while, that's an hour. Okay. And that's good. Why? Look at the positive response. A sin. Now listen, this is something I can't remember who I got this from, but I wrote it down. And, and I kind of carry it with me. And I can't. It's either Linsky or MacArthur or Sproul or Olford. I don't think Wayne. Maybe. Here's what it says. In sin, pleasure is for a little while. Sorrow remains. Okay. In repentance, sorrow is for a little while. But the pleasure remains. Okay? You confront and discipline only for restoration. It's the only motive for it. Alright? So, we do it to see a change. And that change is repentance. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his amazing love for your precious bride, your church. Father, may we be overwhelmed by that love. May we just be overcome by the love of being in the body of Christ and yet the privilege of walking shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters, not only for here, but for eternity. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, your Holy Spirit, and Father, for your precious bride this glorious day. Lord, we love you. And we praise you. We partake of the table this day. Father, we understand the price that was paid. Let that not go far from our minds. As Father, each of us deals with our own. Father, may you bring about massive change in the bride of Christ that she may be lifted up, holy and pure, unto the King of kings and Lord of lords, her Savior and Lord. In Christ's name, amen.